Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoy today's featured message. Um, just to give you guys some idea about this presentation, I've been in the safety field actually since 1997. So I, I look really young. I know it's hard to believe I've been out there that long, right? Okay, uh, so I've seen a lot go right. I've seen an awful lot go wrong. So this presentation is a lot on the textbook theory, but then also some of my input as to what I've seen fail to help you avoid those potential pitfalls, okay? All right, so the stuff we're gonna talk about today is we're gonna define BBS according to textbook. We're gonna talk about behaviors and why we do what we do, help you identify situations at your organization, and then I have a list of resources that you can go to if you want additional assistance. So the actual, you know, Wikipedia, if it's on the internet, it's true, right? Okay, so Wikipedia defines BBS as a process that creates a safety partnership between management and employees to focus those attentions on behaviors, right? Sounds really simple. What we run into, though, is BBS, or behavior-based safety, becomes a program for employers. Right, corporate calls you up and says you have six months to implement a BBS program. That's the first fail, okay? We need to understand the difference between processes and programs. Which one of these two do you think is the definition of a program? Excellent, a planned series of future events is a program. A process is how we're going to get to that end, okay? So that's the first thing to recognize, because I know we all have safety programs. Not a lot of us have a safety process, okay? So when we talk about textbook BBS programs, this is what you'll normally see if you Google some of that information or you ask for samples from other employers. You're going to see that it's all about these employee observations, that people are going out on the floor for five minutes and doing, you know, four good things you're doing and one really bad thing you did today. And we're going to coach and counsel you on it. We're going to give you feedback about what you did today. Okay. Normally, again, it's only going to be those production employees or line employees. We're not observing managers. We're not observing superintendents. Right. And again, everything that we're doing is incident rates. Is incidence rates a leading or a lagging indicator of your safety performance? Lagging indicator. So the problem already hit. Now we're being retroactive to try to fix it. So if you're up to key with what OSHA is now proposing, OSHA just published a brochure or a white paper on leading indicators. They don't want you to be tracking incidence rates because they already happen. They want you to track things that show your culture and your improvements towards safety. Okay, and the other thing that happens is we don't ask the employees anything. We're going to go out, we're going to observe them for five minutes, critique them, give them a piece of paper about what they did wrong, but we're not going to ask them anything about the program or ask for their feedback or how they would like to see this done or what would be productive for them. So that's your typical packaged BBS program. Okay, so again, the issue with programs versus a process, if you go back and you think about your organization, is safety in the mission statement. Most mission statements that I pull up for a company talk about, let's see, um, quality, customer service. Rarely do I ever see the safety of our employees in that mission statement. But why is quality or production or customer service included in that? 
Yeah, you're selling to the customer, right? Yeah. Okay, so again, if it's a program, you're not going to see that state into a mission statement. Think about your quality program, your production, uh, or quality process and production process. We call them processes. We don't have a quality program. Okay, how many of you stop widget quality when the quality manager is out of the plant? Do we do that? No, quality has to press on. We have quality ingrained in everything we do because that is so important. That is part of our mission statement. But what happens if the safety manager's gone for the day? Do we sometimes not have that safety meeting? Do we not have that safety committee meeting if the safety manager's gone? That's a program. Okay? It's got to be a process. It's got to be ingrained. Safety, continuous improvement. Again, this is where OSHA's lead going with those leading indicators, you know, and if you're into quality and deming and all that from the 80s, we do something, we check it, we act on it, we go back to the beginning. It's a continuous improvement process. Should safety be done the same way, right? We're always tweaking safety. We're always changing policies, procedures. Once we tweak them, do we go back to evaluate them and find out if they worked? Not always. Okay, again, those are the differences between saying you have a program versus a process. Okay, so a BBS process, again, in theory, is to help us move towards that proactive safety culture. It's to explain to us why those employees are making the decisions they are on the floor. So if they get hurt, it's to help us understand what led to the behavior that injured them or why did they make that decision. It sounds like a really easy concept, right? We understand why they make that decision and we change something so they don't do it. The problem is it's really easy to understand this concept, but really difficult to truly implement it. There's some quotes from some more famous safety professionals who say, if you think BBS is easy, you're doing it wrong. Okay? And I'll show you, I failed at this in my own life. Okay, so again, I, I teach this, I understand it, I've read books about it, taken classes about it, but for me to actually implement it in my own life, I failed miserably. Okay, so let's understand some of the key terminologies. We know behaviors, that's what we do, our actions. So let me ask you guys, and I'll throw my own self under the bus, what does a yellow light mean? <laughs> Go faster, right? Right? We can make it, it's yellow, it's pink, right? Doesn't mean anything, right? Okay, why do we have that behavior? How many of us know driving is the most riskiest, dangerous thing we do every single day? Our highest probability for death is driving. So why do we have that behavior? Didn't get away with it. Yeah, same thing. I am notorious for rolling stops. I don't know what my problem is, but I, if I have to come to a complete stop, that one second of my life kills me. Okay, so I do rolling stops. Why do I make that decision? Because I know the law says I have to do what? When you go through driver's ed, how do they teach you to come to a complete stop? The entire car physically stops, right? It doesn't just keep going really, really, really slow. Okay, so why do I make that decision to do rolling stops all through my neighborhood? I've never got a ticket. I've never got pulled over. I've never hit anyone. No one's ever hit me. Okay, so we're going to talk about consequences shape our behaviors according to the BBS theory. Okay, so again, going, like I said, I'm going to share some textbook issues with you and then what I found in real life that contradicts all this. 
According to textbooks, this is a reason that we do the behavior. Something triggers us. We see a stop sign coming, right? We know how the stop needs to be made. The consequence is going to shape how I do that behavior. Hey, again, I've never got a ticket. I've never got pulled over. I've never hit anyone. No one's ever hit me. I deem it safe in my mind. There's little consequences to me doing a rolling stop. Okay, so I do have a crowd that's not full of millennials today. So how many of you guys have seen Pulp Fiction? Right, almost everyone. We've all seen Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. If you recall back to the Bonnie situation, our boys made a mess in their car. Okay, and they take it to Quentin Tarantino's house to clean it up and hide it. The problem is Quentin Tarantino's wife, Bonnie, who works the night shift as a nurse and is rather grumpy when she gets home, is coming home in just two hours. So the boys have to get this car sparkling clean and get the heck out of Dodge before Bonnie comes home. So do they work effectively and fast to get that car cleaned? Yeah, right? They call in the woof, everything gets taken care of very quickly. What was the consequence if they didn't get out of Dodge in time? Bonnie was gonna beat somebody up, right? Or worse, yeah. So the consequence for that drove their behavior. Bonnie coming home and raising heck got them out of Dodge quicker. Okay, so again, that's how BBS should work. Those consequences should drive our behaviors. Here's my real life situation, my aha moment that changed the way I think about BBS. So about a year ago, I go into an employer and uh, they're a community action group. So they do all kinds of things, everything from construction to driving buses, but for this certain afternoon, this girl that was a vocational student who was working for them had to mow grass, okay? So she mows grass, she has an accident. The next day, I come into their building. I'm talking with the safety guy. I'm like, how's everything going? They're like, oh, do you see Lindsay out front? Yeah, she, she's normally not in here. She, you know, she's on light duty. Why don't you go ask Lindsay what happened? Okay, sure, I'm up for a good story. So I walk in, Lindsay's thumbs all in a cast. She's got all this apparatus all over her hand. I'm like, oh, this must be good. Lindsay, what happened? She didn't go into the accident right away. She decided to tell me a story. And her story is, well, you know, I cut grass for my grandfather all the time. So I know how to cut grass with a push mower. I'm like, okay, well, I do too. And she says, you know, occasionally when you mow on wet grass, what happens to the deck? It clogs, right? So what do you have to do? You gotta clean it. Now, Lindsay here, mowing grass for a long time for her grandfather, knows that between the edge of the blade and the deck is a two inch space. So she knows she has two inches to scrape that wet grass while the blade is running and it can't touch her. Again, no consequences, never got cut, never got hurt, Never had any issues. Always knew she had, a, oh, she had a two inch clearance to do that. So she has this new mower at, at this employer's that she has to use at, at this community action group. So first off, the first problem for her is the pull start on this mower is really difficult. So once the supervisor gets it started, she doesn't want to stop it. Okay, and, and this was, you know, a state-of-the-art push mower. So, you know, what, hap what does it have on the handle? Oh, that kill yeah, that kill switch, right? 
Okay, so she's mowing and she's got everything going good and it starts to clog because it's too high and it's too wet. So she looks around and she sees that her supervisor is way on the other side dealing with another employee problem. So she's like, man, you know, I can't get this thing started by myself. My supervisor's really busy. He wants me to get this done, but it's clogging up. So she takes her earbud laces and ties, ties the release shut. Okay, because she can't pull started again. She perceives, you know, his time's more important than her safety. Okay, and then she goes, well, gee whiz, my grandpa's mower's got a two-inch clearance. I should be just fine. So what does she do? Exactly what you're all shaking your heads going, I would never do that. You're an 18-year-old girl and your only experience is it's safe. What decision do you make? You're going to do it. You're going to jam your hand under there because you think it's safe based on your own experience. So again, you guys all go, well, there's no way I would ever stick my hand under there. If the only mower you ever used allowed you to do that without harm, you would have no idea that anything was different in the world. Your employees each have personal experiences they bring with you. Are they going to tell you this stuff? No, not until something bad happens and now they're trying to justify why it happened. So think about how do we counter personal experience of our employees to make them think of the right consequences because consequences drive behaviors. So, you know, BBS is, well, we change the consequences, they should make the right choice. I'm countering, we've got a bigger issue that we have to find out about is personal experiences because those are driving the reasons they're making those choices. Hey, the other thing, if you remember, I said she didn't want to bother her supervisor. Why not? She thought his time was more valuable. That was a culture issue. So culture, by definition, is a set of what? Shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices. Do each of you guys have a culture at your facility? You might have a production culture. You might have a safety culture. Your employee experiences are based on the culture of where they grow up and reside, which might be different than the culture of where your facility is. Okay? The big thing with culture is we normally don't recognize it until something changes. I used to work Northeast Ohio. We're very fast-paced up here, very safety conscious. Okay, you guys come to this stuff, you call the BWC for help, you're very active in safety. In 06, I moved down to Cambridge with the Southeast Ohio. So like cities like Caldwell and Hannibal, and places you guys have probably never heard of and rightfully so. What do you think their culture is? Slow, oh, it's slow as heck. Slow and easy wins the race. What about safety? Yeah. Guess what? There's no OSHA. It takes OSHA two and a half hours to travel to my territory. Do you think they just willy-nilly come over? No. So there's no consequences for not having a safety program, right? Because OSHA is a consequence for not doing things according to the law. And a lot of times their people don't get hurt, be it they're lucky or they just, you know, Things happen through progress and through training, and sometimes they make the right choices. But down in Southeast Ohio, I have a completely different safety culture. So something you have to do is figure out what is the culture in your plant. Okay? And 
prior to coming uh, to the state back in the late 90s, I worked in private industry. And this was my safety culture. Okay? We had never seen OSHA before. We were in manufacturing, had about 250 employees. We had accidents every single day. Somebody was getting hurt every single day. We were a big fab shop. Employees knew that we were trying to push material out the door. So do you think they were evaluated on safety or on quantity? What happens when you are graded on quantity? You're going to do whatever you can to take that shortcut to get those widgets out the door because that's where your bonus is coming from. It's not coming from how safe you work. It comes from how many widgets you're doing. So first off, that's the first key that probably safety is not going to be a proactive culture there. Other thing that we deal with a lot of times is Band-Aid fixes. We don't have the money. How does that impact safety? It does. It sends a message that this is a safety need. There is an issue here. We're just going to put a Band-Aid on it. In about six weeks, we'll have to come back out and fix it again. We can't do a long-term inter intervention. We can't buy new equipment to make this safer. We're just going to Band-Aid it. And then in my plant, when you walked into the shop, you saw safety, our number one priority. You guys ever see those posters? You might have one hanging in your shop, right? Again, if safety is not in your mission statement, is safety your number one priority? Probably not. Do you think employees see right through that? Yeah, employees can see through that. So again, they become jaded, irritable, they don't trust management when we talk about safety. Okay? And you say, okay, yeah, I have all this. I want to do something about it. Can you flip a switch and change it? Oh my gosh, no. We're talking years, years to steer that ship the right direction. Okay? So if you're talking about going BBS and you want to do BBS right, it's not a six-month program. It's a 10-year process. Okay? So you need to know what you're in for when you get there. Again, going back to textbook theory, Right, we have antecedents, behaviors, and consequences. So we call it the ABC model of BBS. And you guys are all familiar with this, maybe not the terms, but again, this is how we react every day. We see something that triggers the need for a behavior. So, you know, you see the stop sign, you do a rolling stop. Okay, you see the yellow light, you go through it. You see, what are we supposed to do if we see a wet floor sign? We're supposed to walk really carefully, right? So all these things trigger the need to make an action. Okay, so the behavior is actually that action that we make as a result of it. Then we get to the consequences. Like I said, when it comes to BBS in theory, and if you read books about it, they're like, this is the sole thing that is driving your behavior. In my personal opinion, we're dealing with some other things. We're dealing with personal experiences. We're dealing with the culture and perceived culture of the facility that can all counter these consequences. So we know, again, depending on the consequence, will dictate our behavior or if we will we'll repeat that behavior. And there's some issues with consequences as well. Again, going back to theory, there's four types of consequences. Positive, negative, reinforcement, and then punishment and extinction. Okay? 
Again, if you read any new safety book, what are we supposed to do to reinforce safety behaviors? What type of reinforcement? Positive, right? You're supposed to tell them, add a boy, good job for wearing your safety glasses today. I'm so glad you worked safe. That was the right decision to make. When we go out to our supervisors, which one of these two do they normally choose, positive or negative? They're usually using negative reinforcement. So how does that feel when somebody scolds you for doing something wrong? Bad, okay? So again, with negative reinforcement, you got morale issues and all that tumbles down and creates a, a bigger black hole for your culture. Other things that we do, and a lot of times we do this without knowing about it, is wind up doing an extinction of an activity. That means we completely ignore it. So again, we know that production is first. We want them, they're being graded on their widgets, they want that bonus. So they decide to make an unsafe activity or behavior, but they exceeded the quota. So we're gonna ignore that unsafe behavior and hope it goes away because we're gonna reinforce them for making that quota. Okay, so again, a lot of times our supervisors will fall into this, won't even recognize that that unsafe action was taken and just hope it goes away, we never saw it. Okay, sometimes we'll get the punishment issue too, but again, very rarely do I have employers that have a true disciplinary policy for safety violations. I'm sure every single one of you has it in your handbook, right? Your first violation's a warning, your second violation's this. But how hard is it to enforce your safety policies and use that disciplinary procedure? Right, because you as a safety person, you're not the safety cop. You're not meant to be there and catching everybody. It's up to those frontline supervisors to see those activities and those behaviors and choose those consequences for it. Okay, so something that I've been using recently, and I bring this out about every five to seven years after I think it's faded away, and I have it on the handout here, but you can also Google it, is the I Chose to Look the Other Way poem from Don Merrill. And it really explains, again, in a context of why employees ignore it and hope things will go away. In the poem, the employee talks about that he sees his good friend doing something risky. He's on the top step of a ladder, he's overreaching. But that employee who sees it goes, you know, I've done that too. Um, Joe's been doing this job for 20 years more than me. He knows the risks just like I do. So a person in the poem chooses to look the other way and not say anything. What happens? Right, something catastrophic happens to that employee. But the poem goes on to say, well, I didn't want to lose face. I didn't want my friends and peer pressure to laugh at me. I didn't want Joe to scold me for saying I've done the same thing too. And that's a cultural issue. If your employees are gonna pick on each other because somebody's telling you as a peer to work safer, is that a culture issue? Yes, because again, we're not looking out for each other. We're just trying to get the job done. So something I encourage you to do, if you've never seen this poem or never utilized this poem in a toolbox talk or what have you, bring this out as a way to address that peer pressure. Why don't we speak up when we see somebody doing something dumb? We all do something dumb every day. Why don't we take the chance to tell that other coworker, employee, supervisor, that's a bad decision, okay? And if you want the best bit of knowledge I can give you today, 
If you want employees to read something, put it on the back of the bathroom stall door. Because whether you want to read it or not, you're going to read it. You got nothing else to do. Okay? Huh? Well, yeah, you're still going to read it. Hey, so yeah, that's if you want them to read something, that is a great place to put it. They will be there. But yeah, encourage uh, employees to read this poem. Use this poem to generate conversations about your culture. Okay, so other things about consequences, again, because consequences are supposed to drive our behaviors, is the timing of the consequence. Hey, again, I, uh, I was speeding. Uh, again, I'm, not, I'm a safety person. I was speeding in Pennsylvania. They got me by aircraft. What is the timing on my ticket, if any of you have experienced this? Guess what? You get it about two weeks later in the mail with a picture of your vehicle and the license plate. How's the timing on that consequence? Poor, right? To drive behavior, that timing of the consequence has to be immediate. Again, how likely are you to catch an employee in the act of doing something unsafe? Usually, we can't do that. Usually, it's after the accident. Then we go back and go, oh, yeah, that was a bad, that was a bad choice, bad procedure. Other thing is consistency. I can speed through Pennsylvania every single day. It just happens I got busted this one day. It's not a consistent message. Is your disciplinary policy or your positive reinforcement, those attaboys, are they consistent? Usually not. Again, it's really hard to be consistent and everybody on that same page all the time. The last one has to do with the significance of that penalty or consequence. So again, my story uh, a few weeks ago was the county fair. I had just, I was recovering from abdominal surgery. I couldn't walk very far. So I chose to park too close to an intersection. But by gosh, I only had to walk one block to get into the fair. It was, it was closer than parking inside the fairgrounds. I made that choice thinking, eh, there's hundreds of cars. Are they really going to ticket me? So I come back out from the fair with my child. Guess what's on my car? Guess how much the ticket was? It was cheaper to pay the ticket than to park inside the fairgrounds. Again, not significant enough to make me change my behavior next year. I'll pay the ticket. Oh my gosh, it was cheaper than parking anywhere else. Okay, so think about that as, again, and to put it into perspective of employees' experience in your culture, is that penalty or consequence severe enough, significant enough to make them change their behavior? Again, what that Dover police just did to me reinforced my behavior to block the intersection. All right, so again, like I said, this, you, you think I walk the walk, I talk the talk. This is what I do for a living. I had this huge aha moment about a year ago when I'm trying positive reinforcement and it didn't work. And then I was going to try negative reinforcement and fell into this trap. So here's the whole scenario. Our, our dog passed away. It was a, a year uh, when all this happened, a year ago. So we decided to become a cat family. I'm not a cat person, I'm a dog person, but anyhow. We have parakeets. What do you think with cats and birds? They live in harmony, right? They're singing kumbaya every day. Yeah, no. So my first cat kind of ignores the birds. She don't really care about them. We get this second cat who was a stray, an outdoor cat. So he like chased birds for a living. Okay, so my parakeets are in this humongous three foot cage because I, I feel bad that they're in captivity. So they're in this humongous cage. 
And my cats keep coming. Sushi, his name's Sushi Cat, by the way. Okay. Sushi Cat keeps coming up and bothering the birds. So I get these things called pricker mats that when they step on them, they're pointy. Should deter them from, from bothering the birds. Do you think Sushi Cat cares about pricker mats? No. Okay, so I get rid of this. Next thing I do is I get these scat mats, which if you step on them, they emit this high frequency beeping that's really annoying and wakes you up all night. Okay. So if you imagine I got this three foot bird cage, the, the whole bird cage is surrounded by these scat mats, right? So if you step anywhere close to the bird cage, it's going to go off. So the first night I put those out there, we're laying in bed. It's about midnight and I hear a little beep. Oh, it works. This is great. A few minutes go by. Scott, I think he's testing them. Let's see what happens. Well, Sushi Cat decided that that was not annoying enough and actually stood on it until it started to fade out, which means my batteries were dying. So as a good parent, right, I go out there, go up to the birds, and, you know, Sushi Cat was a rescue. He was a stray. I feel so bad for him. So he comes over, walks away from the birds, and does that cat thing, that loving cat thing, right? I'm like, oh, Sushi Cat, you're such a good cat. And he's purring and loving. I'm like, I love you so much, Sushi. Let me give you a treat. I go back to bed. What do you think my cat does? Walks back over to it, makes the choice to stand on it for the same amount of time so the batteries start to die. So what do I do? I come back out of bed. I'm like, Sushi, get off the mat. He comes over, loves on me. Oh, Sushi, I love you so much. You're my favorite cat. Here's a treat. What did I just teach my cat to do? Bother the bird, stand on the mat. At midnight, because that's only when cats are up, right? During the day, they could care less. They're only up at dark, okay? So again, I, I'm trying to punish them by this bad behavior with these scat mads, but what I actually ended up doing was rewarding him for that behavior I didn't want to see, okay? Again, I, I know exactly what I was doing. After I was done with it, I was just sitting back going, I'm the dumbest safety person ever, right? This is what we're trying to do with our employees. We fall into these traps with it. We're trying to do the right thing. We set up the system correctly, but our execution fails. So how does this apply to the real world? Because y'all don't have cats and birds living together in harmony like I do, right? Normally what we do is performance reviews for our employees. Now how timely are performance reviews? If you still even do them. Every six months, okay, maybe once a year, Okay, in my position, I get a review once a year. Do you think I'm told anywhere in that year how I've been doing leading up to that time? No. So if I did a bad job, when do I find out about it? Yeah, like a year later. So I can't fix it. I can't do anything. So performance reviews are not the way to reiterate those behaviors. Okay, kind of a funny story is back in the early 90s, you know, there's all these management trends and safety trends that come out and about, and one of them was called Whale Done. They actually made a series of management coaching videos about the trainers at SeaWorld in Shamu. How do you think they train a killer whale? Do they beat it with a stick till they get the behavior they want? Or do they ignore all other behaviors until it does the one they want it to do? They ignore all the others. Reward the good ones. Yes, if they want the whale to swim from left to right when the whistle blows, 
They keep blowing the whistle until the whale goes the right direction, then they feed it. Okay, now, again, great concept. We'll ignore all the other behaviors, but then what happens to all those other behaviors? We keep doing them, right? If they're unsafe, that doesn't help us any. Now, this all took a turn for the worse here back in the 90s. Maybe it was in the early 2000s. Anybody remember what Shamu did? What did Shamu do? He ate a trainer. Yeah, so kind of not the right theory anymore. Hey, but again, this is things that we do even without this training. We ignore those behaviors and hope they go away. An interesting fun fact about the SeaWorld uh, fatality, OSHA, of course, went in and investigated it, and it was the first time in history OSHA said an animal is a recognized hazard. Because if you know the general duty clause, OSHA says every employer must provide a place of employment free of recognized hazards likely to cause death, serious harm, catastrophic injury. So this all the way went all the way up to the Supreme Court. OSHA won, and this turned animals into recognized hazards. And part of the settlement of that is that trainers cannot get into water with killer whales. What's the name of those animals? Well, orcas or killer whales. Why would you be in the water with a killer whale? Okay, but yeah, so if you ever want to do some OSHA history, look look up um, the SeaWorld citations because it's actually made really interesting case law. But again, this was how we were teaching supervisors to supervise. Hey, so like I said, really easy concept where we reward the behaviors we want to see positively, but... Every single day we fail at this. I fail at this as a mother. I failed as a safety person. I failed training my cats with this. It's really hard to do it correctly. So again, some of the issues you need to recognize, if you have a safety culture where there is no trust in management and employees are beating their heads, is BBS going to work for you? No, okay? If you've got safety programs that are flavors of the month, so, right, okay, we're going to do safety incentive this month for safety suggestions that we can implement. And then you get a bunch of those really colorful suggestions in the box. And you're like, oh, we're not going to do this anymore. Okay, next month, we're going to start random department audits. And then nobody's correcting situations. Nobody's auditing correctly. You're like, okay, we're not going to do this. You can't make BBS that program of the month. If that is your management style, Again, BBS is not going to work for you until you shift that culture. Okay, and like I said, there's a big difference between processes and programs. Okay, so what can we actually do or what information can I give you that is helpful today? Here's the thing. You need to be able to analyze your situation from the outside. You need to be objective. You need to understand that people on the floor have a different view of the culture versus the management versus people like IT and human resources. Everybody has a different perception of the water they're swimming in. There's going to be gaps between all of those. The first place, if you want to turn that Titanic, if you want to start to shift your culture, the first thing you have to do is we have to identify those gaps because they are there. Even in the, I've been in, quote, world-class safety organizations, do you think they still had gaps? Yeah. Continuous improvement is key. You have to continue to identify those gaps and fix them because new ones will appear. 
Okay, so what can you do? Okay, I gave, I'm gonna give you three tools to help address those gaps. The first one that you can do is a safety culture wheel. And what you can do is you can Google that, or I have a handout that has the web links in it too, to these devices. But a safety culture wheel takes these five spokes, improve our involvement, processes, leadership, accountability, and organizational style, and asks you five questions on each of those spokes. Each question is deemed points. So when you graph it, the higher the points is where you want to be. So based on this graph, what might be two of the spokes they need to work on? Yes, measurement and accountability, right? Places where we come in very low scoring, okay? Ideally, you would give these questions, again, to the people who do the work, the labor team, then your supervisors and middle managers, and then your support staff. And again, you'll be amazed at how different people view the same organization. So this is like the easiest way. All right, so you're up for a little bit more of a challenge. There are things that are available called perception surveys. And again, you can Google these, they're free. I gave you some resources. Depending on who you get this information from will determine if it is to, to statistically probable to use. And what I mean by that is the good perception surveys ask the same question three times. Have you ever had to take a test where they ask you the same question multiple times but word is slightly different? Why do they do that? Yeah, they're looking for that consistency and make sure that's your true thought, right? Because the first time you might answer it fakely, they keep asking again, you're just gonna fall back into what you really think. So good perception surveys are about 100 questions. They repeat each question three times. Again, you administer it to all your different groups. Okay, and you mark on the survey, are you labor, are you management, are you support services? Takes only about 30 minutes. But like I said, they're available, they're out there. So this one takes time because then you gotta analyze the results, right, and figure out where those gaps are. The hardest application of this is to start calling in work groups. Work groups of labor, work groups of management, work groups of support services and throw topics at them that you already know are issues. So if you're having a disciplinary issue of following it or administering it, you tag that to your work group or your structured interview, okay? You're gonna get all kinds of opinions about how you should change things, what's wrong with the organization, more data than you ever wanted because everybody's got their two cents about what's wrong with the place they work at, okay? So this takes the most lead time, the most work on your end. Now here's what the problem is. Well, let me get to what we do with that is again, we identify gaps. So if you find out that the labor does not think anything's communicated to them, but management and IT services thinks communication's great, we gotta figure out how to get information down to the labor group. Okay, so that would be identified gap that you have. Again, to fix it, you should have multidisciplinary work teams. Why multidisciplinary? Yes, interaction, different views, everybody has to work together. It's a process. It is going to take all hands on deck to implement the process. Hey, communication is key and implement changes. Now this is the problem. Say you do the, the safety culture wheel. Say you do some perception surveys or you decide you just to troubleshoot with some work groups. You get all this data and six months from now you shove it in your file drawer. What just happened to your safety program? 
You lost it. You lost everybody. This is my word of caution with behavior-based safety and culture changes. We can recognize that we need to make the change. The problem is you need to assess your situation because if you do all this work and you can't make a change, you can't communicate it to your employees, you've lost the trust of management, the trust of those employees, and anything you roll out from that point forward, dead in the water. Know what you're doing and what you're up against. So with all that, like I've been talking, buy-in is essential. Buy-in from whom? Everyone. But who rules the checkbook in most companies? Management, CEO, president, the board. If they're not there to support you, again, done deal. Find something else to do to make a difference. This is not the route to go. Okay, what they, of course they can say, oh, we love safety. We hired you. We give you everything you want. But go, I, I need everybody for 30 minutes off the floor to take some questions. And then we're going to implement some work teams, which is another maybe hour and a half. And then we're going to have to like do some more processes to fix those. So I'm really looking at like two years, a lot of time off the floor. They have to be willing to give you that time. I have a lot of companies, we can't even get safety training off the floor because production time is too valuable. If that's the culture you're in, is this the route you want to go right away? No, no. So like I said, I have seen a lot of companies with the right intentions move this direction, but not assess their culture right to determine if they can sustain it. It becomes a flavor of the month. You lose credibility. You lose respect as the safety person. Okay, so some things to give you, again, if you want more information about it, you can come to us. We have classes, and that's listed on this resource page, some of our classes that dive into this. Our video library, call our librarians. They will send you every article that talks about this. So again, you can get points of interest, action items, just call the library. If you really want to go at this, you can even buy a package deal. Okay? You can go again, go on the internet, look at BBS. You're going to see a bunch of stuff available out there for it. When you do it like this in a package deal, it's more like a program, right? Because they're telling you how to administer it. They're telling you how it's to be done. It doesn't become your process. But again, I have a lot of companies that do it this way. Okay, so now that I've probably disappointed all of you and made you miserable about the places you work at, what can you do? Okay, and again, this is coming from me. I was at a place where we had terrible safety culture. I was a scapegoat. I went to court. Okay, it was just really bad things. And my aha moment was, because I was young and dumb, was, you know what? There are some things I'm just not up to fixing. This culture issue, I'm doing my best, but I'm hitting my head against the wall and I'm getting burned out. So let me find something else I can make a difference at and help these people. Okay, so realize where you're at. Be honest about your situation. If you've got a bad safety culture, you got roads and roads and roads ahead of you. If you got an uh-huh safety culture, okay, all right, we can probably steer the ship just slightly a few more degrees and get going. Know your limitations in your position. If you are the safety cop, 
Are you going to be able to implement a culture change being the safety cop? No. Again, know where you are with the safety department or safety person within your company. Again, look to implement a process, not a program. A process is how you're going to achieve that outcome. Pick what you want to change, what is within your scope of control, where you can make a difference, implement that process. And then the big thing again is as simple as this poem, and this goes for your, you know, your household, your neighbors. Have the guts to tell that person that behavior or decision they're making is wrong. Take a moment. It's okay if you get pie in the face or they call you a bad name. You did the right thing. You tried to make a difference. And hopefully you do stop that accident from happening. All right, there's my contact information. I do have handouts up here and business cards. Does anybody have any questions? All right. Thank you for all right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.